So uh, it's been a little bit of a slower news cycle uh, these last two weeks. We had a really great news cycle last time. Um, I only have a couple articles uh, to share tonight. Um, but uh, yeah, we've got uh, some other stuff that we're working through with the FAA. I don't know how much we want to share about that, but uh, we'll we'll share what we can. Um, but uh, beyond that, we'll go ahead and get started. So the first article I have, this is kind of... Uh, I mean, Dave, I, I think you had a little bit of uh, uh, talk about this. This is uh, Red Cat uh, to sell their consumer drone units, Rotorite, and Fat Shark to focus on security specialist Teal. Now, seems like this is kind of they're hanging on to some stock and maintaining financial interest from what I was able to gather. Uh, Dave, do you have a little bit of insight into this? Yeah. Um... From what I can see, the the information we have is a, a press release, and uh, uh, they've incorporated uh, Red Cat uh, management team has incorporated a, a new company, Unusual Machines, and um, then they've done a a couple of stock transactions and a a minor uh, cash transaction, and what they've essentially done is separated uh, uh, Rotor Riot and Bat Shark from teal and so this is a, an effort it appears to be able to create a, a non-dilutive non capital uh, for uh, teal which makes sense and uh, uh, interestingly there the uh, the transaction or closing of the divestiture is contingent on uh, an ipo uh, happening and raising a, a minimum subscription of 15 million dollars as well as being listed on uh, NASDAQ. And that is uh, that's a, an interesting uh, way to, um, to write a, a press release in that normally um, you have to close before you can be registered on a, on a stock exchange or you have to be incorporated before you can IPO. So some of the, um, uh, the sequences uh, at least described in the, um, uh, in the press release were a little uh, quizzical. So, yeah, and you know, to yeah. me, net net, they're raising some cash. They want to raise some cash for uh, uh, for teal, and they're trying to separate uh, an enterprise and military uh, part of the business uh, with their um, uh, uh, re uh, recreational uh, part of the business. Which normally a company does not bother to do an, an a separate uh, initial uh, uh, stock offering to uh, to separate uh, both uh, uh, structures. So. A little bit of an, an eyebrow raiser. Well, do you got something you wanted to add? I was I, I listened to that call. There was an investor call that they put out with this, like on the same day, mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was just very much like, uh, you know, we're so glad this is happening. We're glad to get out from under this. Basically, I think you know Jeff said something to the effect of we mishandled, we've mishandled Rotoride and Fatshark, you know, and that may just be pitch for the call, but. You know, if you think about it, like their focus has been on teal, trying to get defense contracts, building things like that. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, I've personally said it before, we've seen Rotorite's content fall to the wayside. Like they're basically just making weekly content and pushing systems. And that's their job is what it seems like to me from an outside perspective compared to what they used to do. And so I would hope that this is like, hey, we're not going to be under this uh, this arm anymore. Hopefully there's more push to to build those companies. So Fatshark was a dominant 
thing for a long time. And I feel like FedTrack has fallen off and is no longer anywhere near that. You know, now we're getting HD zero making the best box goggle you can, or the best goggle you can buy. And we've got HD, or we've got FedTrack making a Dominator goggle that you can't even use HDMI in or analog with. It's like, it's, it's just like a, it's such a weird world. Um, and I don't really, you know, they basically totally abandoned analog in any other systems. And um, I don't know. With all that said, I'm hoping that that change, the, this change in ma management, you know, Jeff Thompson will still be there, I assume, and the, the, but hopefully it'll be a separate arm that isn't considered with like, hey, we just need to make revenue so that it looks good on the books because we're not making anything with Teal and we have all this money we made and we're spending, we're burning money every every fiscal. Like that's that's the way I was looking at it, right? So like, because yeah, they- It, it, all, it, all it the appears revenue... that, that Jeff Thompson will retain a position, but he's completely out yeah. of the line of uh, chain of command. And even they've, yeah. they've even hired in a uh, a CEO to run uh, a combination Ooh. of Roto Riot and Fat Shark, who by the way seems to be on the ACK. I looked at that, and he he lists the ACK on his uh on his LinkedIn, which I thought was interesting. That's right. That's right. So I remembered the name. I was wondering where. Um, yeah. So that'll be interesting to Barnett? see the developments there, right? Like and see how yep. that goes. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I, it's yeah. I agree with you, Plenty on Fat Shark. I mean. The uh, to me the, the the heart and soul of HD zero is uh, the ASIC inside it and uh, uh, the uh, the author of the ASIC uh, Carl Zhao is also the uh, uh, the designer behind the uh, uh, the the core uh, graphics processor that uh, most every goggle uses so he's got a very yeah. tight knowledge on a graphic subsystem and that's where digital is going. That whole, I don't know how much we want to talk about, but that whole move was just very confusing. Like, they basically bailed on HD0 and then moved to to, to Walksdale, to Cadex, right, to use the Avatar system and build goggles around it, and then drop yep. HD0 totally. However, they don't retain any rights to that. Like, I don't understand the business decision. Like, that was what always confused me, was on the back end, what happened to say, like, we've got exclusive, basically exclusive rights to a chipset, and we're selling... The hardware and we could build all the pieces for the hardware and they'll let us do whatever we want with it you know and then we're just going to keep an arm's length we're going to stop making vtx's we only want to make goggles we care about more about digital we're going to push toward digital in it it just was such a weird pivot and i uh, i don't know i wonder like where the like does greg still care that much like greg french you know or like like where was the where was the the motivation for that and like i don't know but then we saw walkstone release the same goggle the same exact molded goggle Right. And like maybe it was cloned, but it sure doesn't seem like it was cloned. It sort of seems like it was made in a fat truck facility, you know, because it's I, literally identical. Yeah, I think they, yeah, I think the intellectual property is walks now. It's not fat truck. Well, yeah. Fatrick claims it's not. It's Fatrick's. And Fatrick claims that Walkstone made it on their own and they're not making the same facility. Walkstone claims they are making the same facility. Like clean room? Yeah, they clean room that. Like, oh, yeah. Mess. <laughs> yeah, so it's just oh, a mess, you know, and I, I, so hopefully, again, hopefully this whole pivot, they can move away, they get a different CEO, they get different leadership under the whole deal, and maybe they can find a new solution for, like, how can we start building back the business that we want to have and stuff, because I don't know, I don't see FatTrack lasting that long as the business they're doing. I saw FatTrack lasting long in the corporate sector and in the military sector right. for making goggles and hardware for those people, because we don't want 100%. them anymore, right? Like. That's the way I look at it, you know, like Walksnail, like Cadex doesn't need Factor at all. There's no benefit to them, you know, like, uh, I don't know. It's just very odd. So, anyway, yeah, I think, I mean, I, I would agree with Blunty. I think the the benefit to Fat Shark was, you know, starting to pivot into 
pivot out of the consumer market and into, you know, military, law enforcement, you know, that kind of stuff where where that kind of technology is valuable and, and still fresh and new, right? So, yeah. um, but, you know, and they I think they delved a little bit into that, but I don't think it went as deep as it needed to. But I mean, I'll just say, you know, they sold, like, they sold a, the HD Zero VRXs that they sold because their marketing was so bad, their, their hardware was poor, like their their support for it was bad. When they sold those HD Zero VRXs, they sold most of them, from what we could tell by looking at statements, to their own Skypersonic. And Skypersonic mm. like was using those hard that hardware in house. So like basically they didn't even do that well on the VRXs that they did build because they didn't understand the market or what they were doing or where they were going or what was present or what they were building. They built shitty hardware and then like, yeah, it's just very confusing, you know. Um, so like, yeah, that's where all those VRXs are is in Skypersonic right now. That's they still have like five or seven hundred of them or something. That was like a big part of the, the chunk that mm -hmm. they sold of those VRXs. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on. I mean, that, I mean, interesting <laughs> topic, but I mean, there's a lot to kind of unpack there. So, you know, yeah. I mean, take for take take it for what you will. Um, I still imagine Jeff Thompson's going to be involved, but hopefully, you know, I'm with I'm with Blunty on this is hopefully there's a pivot. And I mean, Rotor Riot began uh, essentially as an entertainment uh, company uh, creating amazing videos and has pivoted and i'm not bashing anybody at rotoriot rotoriot you know they're, they're part of the community but i i feel like you know there's there's some some growth that growth and change maybe would be the the yeah. right way to go so there's, i'll just i just want to say one thing when you're you have jobs to do in positions mm -hmm. in companies and that's what you do that's the only mm -hmm. thing i'm going to say so regardless of how anybody has acted or what they've done or their positions they've taken or how they've done anything like right. there's opportunity for change and differences and different statements and stances and uh, things happen because they have to happen legally and business wise, I think. So that, yeah. that's the way I would look at that. Like anybody who was under an obligation uh, is no longer hopefully under that same obligation because it's not the same attachment, at least hopefully. Yeah. I mean, there is still, like we talked about, similar stock and there, there's still investment there, but hopefully mm -hmm. it's not the same kind of push from the back end we, we would have seen in the same yeah. way. So. A little more creative. Well, as, as far as goggle, yeah. goggles go, I'm a I'm an HD Zero fanboy. So Sign I've only got up. to try them the one time. Uh, I got Wait, to try Dave's at, at Flight Fest. The, waiting, they were pretty good. waiting for my for my uh, HD Zero goggles. They sold yeah. what 500, 500 units in two days. <laughs> yeah. I just want I'll just Not want to mention enough. too. Um, Walksdale has been doing that crazy sale for the VRXs, and they just yeah. announced they sold over four thousand in this month. That seems That's pretty good. Harder, crazily high. Are there yeah, really that many people? in the first week, and now four thousand after the month. So hmm. I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, it's really cheap. It's two hundred dollars for a VRX uh, camera right. and a VTX. Mm -hmm. So it's yep. like you know they're basically fire sailing them. So I saw the, I know the Avatar goggles or Dominators or whatever. They were on a pretty pretty hefty Black Friday sale too. Yeah, they were trying to sell. Places. I think they were discounted 150 so which is a lot for a, for yeah. a set of goggles that's interesting yeah, yeah. i assume that's we'd never big, know big the big actual big. number but i'd be curious how many uh dji 03 air units were sold the the first couple of days they were available you know i it's, uh, i i'm kind of i'm kind of with dave you know uh when i get a new set of goggles i still i still fly dominator hd2s don't don't judge me but uh um they work and i like them and they have big screens that i love every bit of the real estate on them but um 
Uh, I, I'm probably gonna go HD zero. It's, I mean, I've got a, I've got DJI, um, but you know, I think uh, something a little more open source, a little more uh, community focused, is is where my head's at. So, but yeah. you know, I'm not I'm, endorsing I'm being... anything. Y'all make your own decisions. Um, yeah, you having, know, we're not having led uh, lots of lots of uh, software um, program development efforts. I I know how difficult it is to. Um, keep up backward compatibility and to support the uh, install base and make sure you don't abandon your customers. And uh, well, HD Zero is all about that. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah, you know, it, it it's impressive and it's it's difficult. And uh, we'll yeah. see how that uh, how that continues. We, I think that's a strong see, suit. I would say we could see how difficult it is from DJI doing the back compat. I mean, we didn't expect it to happen, and it's happening, but it is a mess. Because it's like you know you're working it's really across multiple, it's, it's, yeah, you're really working across difficult. multiple software systems and multiple like hardware systems, and you're and you're juggling these new techs and these old techs, and which UI do you put it in, and how does it bind, and like it's been kind of a mess. But we yeah. did get a, a beta that showed up for goggles two backwards compatibility for old units, and we've got forwards compatibility for the V two goggles for new units, which is like I think surprising for anyone who's followed DJI for any length of time. So mm -hmm. yeah, uh, and to me, what yeah. the way they did the compatibility from the first goggle to the second, uh, whatever the appropriate naming is, yeah. uh, that was yeah. that was like a a, 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 a what's the right word, Dan? What am I looking for? Like a virtualization layer where you just booted yeah. the whole thing. It was like a you booted to the one direction or the other. It was like, oh yeah, good yeah. job. Yeah, it was Not like really. they did a I mean, whole rewrite of everything, and now this system can run. It can yeah. dual boot two so, different OSs. So, right. so it took yeah. it took the time until now for them to create it all together in one OS because the new beta of the goggles two backwards compat has all of it rolled into the same without reboot. But it's like it's a mess because it uses the wrong features and you can't pick a power level and like there's weird channel selections and like. You can't use FCC mm -hmm. hack because Goggles 2 doesn't have that. And like, or you can't use 1200 milliwatt, you can use 700 milliwatt. But yeah, it's like a whole thing. So. Did, it, did it slow the performance of the goggles down? And no, that's what you start to worry about. There's is tons that, of overhead. You know, that, much, that much overhead. Yeah, I think they, they were saying there's tons of overhead because they use a new chip in these, the E3D, I think. And it's like a new chip they're using to like offload a bunch of processing. That's why they can screen record now. So you get LSD recording on DJI because they actually just physically record the screen instead of trying to do like the layers and stuff. So. I mean, yeah, I'd love to know what E3D is. Probably a, a DSP, I bet. Yeah, I'm not okay. sure. Okay. All right, so next Off up. Into the weed, sorry. Hey, you know <laughs> yeah. what? That's I mean, the cool thing yeah. about these conversations, right? Is is getting out <laughs> into those weeds. It is, sometimes it's hard to get you back, though. But uh, <laughs> we're just gonna cut that off and uh, and start fresh. Yeah. <laughs> Moving on. So uh, I, I saw this. Uh, it may have been uh, on Facebook yesterday or this morning. I can't remember. Uh, it's been a blur the last couple of days. But uh, um, so an appellate court has affirmed a lower court's ruling in Ottawa County in Michigan, uh, stating that. Uh, uh, essentially, uh, the preemption established by Michigan uh, State uh, prevented uh, this county from uh, uh, preventing flights in public parks. Um, so the initial lawsuit was filed in summer of 2021 by a group of drone enthusiasts called the Michigan Coalition of Drone Operators after the county enacted a policy that banned drones from being operated without a permit at county parks and altogether at other county properties. Um, 
Medema found state law prevents local governments from enacting policy policies regulating drone usage, essentially allowing drone pilots to fly as long as they are compliant with federal law. By limiting the conditions in which pilots could operate their drones, Ottawa County violated Michigan's Unmanned Aircraft Systems Act, she concluded. So this is similar uh, here in Arizona, and I know there's a couple other places around the country that operate the same way, where the state of Arizona, in this case the state of Michigan, has basically... Uh, prevented anything lower than the state from enacting any kind of drone regulation. So, um, and Arizona's uh, drone regulation very closely matches the FAA's uh, rules. So, um, so uh, they did, uh, the policy on the county's website currently says the use or operation of any remote controlled airplane, helicopter, drone, car, boat, or similar device pri without, unless prior written permission is obtained from the commission or its agent. Um, elsewhere on the site, the county says drones are in fact banned. No aerial mass drones or other types of aerial photography are permitted without an additional prior written position. Please note that drone permits are rarely, if ever, issued unless there's a direct benefit to the Parks Commission for doing so. Um, so, uh, yeah, this is, uh, um, hopefully they get that squared away and, uh, this is a win for drone operators. So, um, let's see, uh, apparently, uh, as we've all noticed, my, uh, video replay is horrible, but, uh, this was a, uh, tornado captured by a uh, drone in Mississippi uh, looks to be like just an aerial photography drone would have been way cooler with an FPV drone. <laughs> I do know Ken but, Heron uh, was out chasing tornadoes during that storm. Uh, I haven't heard from him he? since. I hope but he's okay. He, he, joined a <laughs> he joined a meeting we were in live from in his car while they were out storm chasing. Oh, yeah. Ken, what are you doing? Oh, I'm chasing a tornado. Sure, <laughs> Ken, what are you doing? No, no, I'm chasing a tornado. Luckily, he wasn't driving, but he, yeah, he, he was. Ooh, that's hilarious. And then he showed his so, back seat where he had his FPV quads and stuff ready to go to go fly into a tornado if they got close to one. Well, let's let's hope he made it home safely. So. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, Vanover's done some of that stuff too. He typically goes out with um that one guy. I can never remember his name, but uh. But they were talking about, I remember reading an old article and he was saying he gets all of his like still like his Mavic shots. He just buys a DJI Mini and ruins it every time. <laughs> and he basically like hovers it so that it's in the area and then recovers it later. If you got $200, $300 to burn, I mean, yeah, he said, he gets, you know, I mean, it's worth the shot, I guess. So. Yeah, I guess so. But uh, yeah, I'd love to see some, I mean, FPV just whipping around this freaking tornado, right? That'd be awesome. Yeah. So numerous tornadoes were reported across the deep south yesterday during a severe weather episode. Uh, though some of the tornadoes occurred after dark uh, and over rough terrain, storm chasers was, were still able to grab fascinating footage. Um, you've probably seen plenty of videos of tornadoes filmed from the ground, but have you ever seen one filmed from the drone? That's what uh, chaser Ryan Hearn was able to do as a rotating thunderstorm approach Bassfield, uh, Mississippi, on Tuesday night. So um, there is a video you think remote here. Remote ID is going to be required there. Uh, well, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, let's establish the tornado itself as a Fria, and you know, we'll just you know expand. <laughs> or just out. say you're a research institution. That, that would work for me. Yeah, I mean, technically. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I was gonna I mean, register when I got home, but I was driving from Best Buy 
and there's this tornado. I'm I'm claiming Noah status, right? That's it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, feel free to watch the video on your own. I don't want to uh, assault anybody's eyes with my my crappy uh, playback. I, so did you get your license for Oz? <laughs> for what? <laughs> for Oz. Oh jeez. Um... <laughs> <laughs> How does, long have you been waiting to say that? Does, does your SPD feed yeah. get from there to here? <laughs> oh, that's so hilarious. Uh, Ken Heron, uh, I don't know if you watch this. Probably not. But uh, if you do, hopefully you're okay. Let us know. Uh, send a smoke signal somewhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let's make sure you're all right. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. So we've talked about this a little bit last time. Uh, this is the last article I have for the evening, but uh, the FAA um, has begun uh, blessing, uh, giving their blessings to expanded missions. So um, recent changes to FAA uh, rules governing flight authorizations for drones now allow for expanded missions with less red tape. These changes, along with other recent positive advances, illustrate the advances that have taken place over the past decade as the use of UASs for TV coverage has blossomed. Um, the responsible discipline approach to UAS pilot training and operations pursued by U.S. broadcasters has paid off um, with uh, remote ID and operations over people, uh, which was released, uh, required UAS operators to be in compliance by September 2023 and signal a pathway to expanded operations. Um, so it's basically just covering some of the new stuff, uh, remote ID and uh, the benefit to TV news broadcasters and, and whatnot. Uh, being able to fly operations over people allows them to gather, use drones to gather more news footage, that kind of thing. So um, it's a quite a long article that covers kind of the, the remote ID and um, BB loss. And uh, there's been a, a rash, Not I mean, it's not really a rash, but several organizations that the FAA has blessed with uh, expanded capabilities of uh, us utilizing certain drones, uh, certain UAS systems um, to uh, do uh, BV loss and inspection and, and whatnot without the requirement of a waiver. Um, I don't know exactly how many, but it's I, I've, I feel like I've seen at least 10 different uh organizations that have uh claimed that they're they're uh uh getting some of that exemption so um we'll see where that leads sometimes some of that stuff rolls downhill sometimes it doesn't but uh it'd be nice to see that it does so uh with that that's gonna wrap up everything i have for news like i said it's a little bit of a slow news week unless uh you guys have anything that i missed um i've got uh, one quick article on yeah, uh, how the FAA is expanding or uh, <laughs> lengthening the time of you are registered. Um, so you don't have to re-register your drones every three years, was it? Um, Yay! Now you've got up years. to seven years instead. So that's... So $5 covers seven years. That's... Uh, yeah, I didn't check. I didn't, I didn't check. Does this also cover recreational I, or just... Uh, I am not completely sure. I... Seven didn't thoroughly read this yet other than it goes into effect in january and let's see the so, executive so what I've summary recent, what i've done while you're looking what, what i've done is uh, you just sign on to drone zone you know it's probably timed out on it on it 
uh, password. So you have to get yourself a new password, sign into that, and then you'll be able to <laughs> find out if uh, you if you have uh, what's the the due date on your registration. Yeah, well, this doesn't take effect until next year, so you won't see it yet. I would uh, think. This is the other. Yeah, they have to tell these these things in advance, I'm sure, before they can right. make any changes. Let's right. see. Unless, of course, it's a rule. advisory circular 9157 right. This doesn't, the executive summary is, uh, doesn't exactly explain. It just says, this rule adds a paragraph to 4740 to require aircraft owners to submit new registration forms to update their certificates prior to the seven-year expiration date. If, um, yeah, that it's issued under part 47 of title 14 from three to seven years that's uas right that's both yeah that'll that then probably covers both i think the problem is is that people didn't re-register so they're just like hey here's an extra <laughs> four years for free we so can we count. can say yeah does that then let them back. count the numbers more because listen to this so Check this out. The re-registration rule established the current three-year duration for aircraft registrations. Prior to the re-registration re rules, aircraft registrations were of an indefinite duration, which made it difficult for the FAA to maintain accurate aircraft registration information. While there was a requirement for aircraft owners to keep their registration up to date, the FAA found that many aircraft owners failed to update their registration information. Big surprise. Adopting the three-year duration for certificates created a regular process for aircraft owners to update the registration information. So it seems like, I mean, part of it was, is like, eh, you need to update it. And now they're just like, meh, we're just going to consider you updated. <laughs> Never is too long. Three years is too short. So let's go with seven. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Let's yeah, see. There's also another um, NPRM. Blunty, you found this one, the uh, carrier aircraft uh, definitions. We need to pour through that one and uh, determine if there's any uh, UAS uh, carrier uh, wording in it, or is it just crewed uh, uh, so uh, or manned aircraft? This, this uh, specific thing right here, it says that the FAA is amending their certificate duration period to seven years for all aircraft. The FAA does not possess a list of non-commercial general aviation aircraft. Uh, moreover, an aircraft may operate as non-commercial general aviation on one flight and commercial on the another. Therefore, this rulemaking benefits all aircraft owners by lessening the burden and cost of renewing aircraft registration. So is this so for looks like it... not just drones, for everything? Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. What it sounds like. Yeah, it does well, sound like that. 47. I'm trying to think if 47. Um, or does this not the, cover the drones at all? I was just going to say, statute, that does this count for drones? Yeah. 47 is the stat, is the um, registration requirement for drones. I think this, you know, the one um, cited, Dan, that's just drones. 47. Yeah, it's talking about Part 47 amendments. Yeah. yeah. Part 47 is registering aircraft. Oh, is it really? It's general? Affected aircraft. Let's see. 47 and 48. Excuse us as we, we <laughs> dissect this live yeah, on air. Yeah, do homework. <laughs> this, is what, this is what we do. Yeah. That's right. Uh, Are you let's sure? Let's see. General aviation yeah. jets, well, cargo, regional carriers all combined. Uh, oh. I think this is more for full scale. Okay, well, we'll, uh, we'll dig into that and figure yeah, it out. Yeah, for sure. Welcome to our world. This is how <laughs> we... <laughs> yeah, yeah, 
sifting through the FAA uh, language. Not so easy. Uh, we're also working on uh, AAAC, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee, Tasking Group 14, which has to do with the uh, industry assisting the FAA to accelerate um, beyond visual line of sight. And uh, we're also working on TG15, which is a creating a playbook uh, for groups or companies to reach out to the public if they're going to do a, some sort of drone deployment. So that looks, uh, the we are uh, blessed with the uh, uh, James uh, Burgess Ryan, former uh, CEO of Google Wing. The man is brilliant. And he's uh, absolutely an inspiration to that tasking group. And so we're we're rocking it on that one. And we have uh, the an Amazon general manager running TG14. And that's uh, a holdover from uh, the BV loss uh, uh, leadership was uh, Sean Cassidy, who's also an Amazon um, exec. And he is uh, um, all helping uh, Carmen, who is uh, leading TG14. Uh, let's see, next so week, I think. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, so both of those tasking groups have started. You've had at least one or two meetings for each one so far, and they've, they've just barely gotten started. started. Just kicking off. Uh, we've had uh, the first meeting. Uh, we've had first meeting for uh, both, second meeting coming up tomorrow for uh, the TG15. The, a, um, I got the numbers right? And, uh, yeah, TG15 second meeting uh, with Kenji and Mike Leo leading that one. Kenji and... Sukahara and Mike Leo. I assume they're both expected to give a report at the next AAAC meeting, which I would guess would be, is that around February? March. 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 Yep. Yep. And both uh, groups are hustling hard to make that date and not request an extension. So that's, uh, I like that. And they're, everyone's pretty aggressive on uh, getting this work done. So that's positive. We're also, uh, I present uh, to the full drone safety team on December 8th. Uh, the, results of the UAS ASRS uh, ad hoc committee. And uh, due to the rules of the drone safety team, I can't say anything about it. And so uh, the drone safety team does wonder why people don't know about what the drone safety team is doing. But of course, anything you say inside the drone safety team is proprietary. So I have explained that a couple times. We'll we'll keep at it. Doesn't safety but work it's best if you talk about safety? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get the it's word like it's, not liberty. Club, it's not a liberty to say. <laughs> First rule of the drone safety <laughs> team is that you don't talk about like, the drone right. safety team. Like, that's it. That's right. First rule of DST. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Aww. I'd like to tell you what, yeah, I'd have to kill you if I tell you. Oh, oh golly. We're also uh, responding. So we, uh, we did receive feedback from uh, the FAA uh, on our CBO application. So big news uh, for us. And, uh, uh, it, it's uh, saddening that the uh, the FAA appears to be taking an absolute literal approach on, we wrote uh, advisory circular 9157C, we want you to follow it to the letter. And so uh, uh, what was an FPVFC two-page safety guidelines document has now uh, ballooned, shall we say. So um, my objective is to try to make it uh, readable and uh, easy to navigate and we're going to i think uh, we'll look plan right now is to divide it into two pieces one that addresses the statute 44809 uh, this these are things that we are required to do and then 
recommendations, uh, things that are uh, suggested in the advisory circular, but are not rules. So we're going to treat it that way and uh, and then hopefully make it uh, navigable so that it is a, a document that can be digested by uh, uh, people speaking the English language. Well, and we also want it to be something you can print out and stick in your bag and bring with you. And we don't, don't want you to have to bring a ream of paper to show anybody who asks which rules you're following. Uh, obviously, you could have it digital as well, but it's nice to have it just printed let out. My, let me get my microfiche reader. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And we got that feedback, was it like right before Thanksgiving, like the end of the 23, day? Before? 23 November in the evening, yeah. They yeah. like those yeah. holidays. That's right. <laughs> timing, timing, time. Oh, and we have a third, it starts a 30 day clock. So. If you don't have the process completed uh, in 30 days, then uh, your application is uh, discarded and you start the process. So out. we have 30 days to respond, and that's just yeah, that for our next back rolling. and forth. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm hope I'm hoping the clock continues that it you know, it resets. Yes. Let's not reset. No. We want to <laughs> we want to keep our number. Like Meat and I must be a similar vintage. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know we both come from uh, from tech. That's funny. Yeah, but. so we're definitely we're working through that. We're we're trying to discuss it amongst ourselves as to what's the best way to respond to each of the FAA's suggestions and how to keep this concise. Um, for one example, we could share is how they they want us to talk about you know don't fly if you're uh, under the influence or if you're overly stressed, and we're like come on, this is a recreational hobby. Like by definition, it's something people do for fun to relax. You do it when you're stressed. Um, or let's say you're you're doing an FPV race and you're trying to win a championship. Right. Obviously, you're going to be a bit stressed. So the FAA says, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this race because you're feeling stressed, right? So we're trying to come up with how to, how to let the FAA understand that that's unreasonable to not fly when you're stressed. But try to get it to what the 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 heart of what they're trying to get across yeah. is like after the spirit of it yeah if you're yeah. so you know stressed out or something that it's affecting the safety of your flight you probably shouldn't be doing it and we're so, trying to add in additional intelligence uh that has to do with fpv and so the reason we would exist as a cbo for fpv is that then we don't. We can write a set of guidelines that are specific to FPV and don't have to include everything else, like turbines or sailplanes that fly uh, above 400 feet, and etc. Yep. Uh, we're concerned that the FAA is trying to make all the CBOs have like basically the same set of guidelines, which would sort of defeat the purpose of having multiple C CBOs. Why not just have one? And here's the set of guidelines, right? So. Yeah, trying I mean, to there, there needs that. to be a level of specialization, right? And I think the other part is, is, is some of the things that the FAA is requesting is essentially rulemaking via CBOs, um, via right. safety via guidelines, advisory right? circular. So, yeah, and that's the that's the other part that that kind of makes no sense. So with the yeah, there's a good being... there's a good example of that is the uh, anti collision light, so night yeah. flying, so. Recreational, we can fly at night. Do we need a light? Nope. So it's like, all right. So we ask for a, you know, does it make sense to, to you know, to I have identical with uh, Part 107, which is a 
and it an anti-collision light that has a, a visibility of three statute miles. Okay, fine. That's uh, detect and avoid. It's supposed to be for crewed aircraft. Got it. The advisory circular 9157C then goes on to say, in addition, there should be lights arranged on the aircraft, the UA, that allow the pilot on the ground to discern orientation and flight path vector. So I've 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 come up with a, a way that I I hope is a way that the FAA finds it acceptable and is a low cost uh, because the uh, the anti-collision lights uh, there's some good ones for about 35 bucks but one of those should do and add some uh, some LEDs and uh, hopefully we're on our way because the the LEDs should be for the person on the ground the anti-collision light is supposed to should be on the top of the aircraft because unless there's a uh, a crewed aircraft that's flying below 400 <laughs> feet they're going to be above the UA the, I mean, and here's the thing, guys, is 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 these uh, safety guidelines are just that. And, uh, you know, once they release, uh, we're modifying them to a point for uh, for recognition as a CBO. Um, they are guidelines and, and recommendations. Um, so just keep that in mind. Um, you know. Uh, right. Follow, follow and, the and, basics and, and, and the, the actual regulations as written. Right. Well. And, and this is why we want to be very careful on stipulating what must what what must people follow and what we recommend, mm -hmm. because the statute articulates that recreational operators must comply with the guidelines. So my my way to thread through this has been okay. So we will say you must comply with the statute, and we're going to recommend uh, the other aspects that came out of the advisory circular. So we'll see if we how how far we can push that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, if we couldn't do that, some people would suggest that that is some kind of roundabout way for the FAA to make new rules. Who would, would suggest that? that exactly. Yeah, we wouldn't assume that they would want to do that. We would assume that they would want to allow us to make suggestions as 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 the rules are written and as the advisory circular was written, and then hopefully, yeah, right. that won't be an issue. Otherwise, I would also yeah. see a lot of people being pretty frustrated that um, so they're going to start making more 250 sub 250 gram drones to fly, uh, so you don't have to worry about remote ID. Well, now if you're flying that at night, you have to have a a giant beacon <laughs> on your drone. That's going to push it over 250 grams and it's barely going to fly. Like that doesn't work very right. well on something that's right. so small that it's got it doesn't hurt anything anyway. Yeah. So yeah, that's why they should be recommendations and discretionary, and that's what we're going to push for. Use your best judgment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, CB runner. It's just too much for something that's a hobby. Yeah, I Agreed. I hit that. I I hit on that point and. In multiple uh, ACK testing tasking groups, we've had uh, multiple excellent, uh, you know, uh, positions put forward. One size did not fit all. The rule should be proportionate to the risk, and so yeah, we've uh, banged on that uh, on those points uh, pretty heavily in our response. This is a hobby, you know. We're here, we're here to have fun. But I love uh, Dan's point, and I tried to uh, recast the because uh, uh, they want us to, as you read in um, uh, in the advisory circular, 
9157C. They want us to include I am safe. And it's like, oh, come on. This is a, a an acronym uh, to determine, um, am I okay to fly as a pilot of a, a crewed aircraft? And for crewed aircraft, it makes a ton of sense. You've got other people's lives on the line. Got it. This is a hobby. This is recreation. So, and on the stress point, I think, you know, we, I beat that one to death uh, on the words, both for FPV racing as well as the benefit of FPV uh, for people who are stressed, people who have uh, chronic pain, and people who are um, suffering from PTSD that they find relief from flying FPV. So, a huge benefit. And, uh, you know, we want to lean on that uh, with the FAA to say, come on, you're, this is what you're restricting. So to Tell. Stan asks, uh, any thoughts on simplified guidelines, possibly more restrictive for newer hobbyists, followed by more open guidelines for those who have already learned how to adopt the wider rules? And I would say this Got falls it. under the use your better judgment, right? Um, the the good, good guidelines would be the ones that the FAA has statutes for um, that are included in the FAA reauthorization, um, the basics. Um, those are the ones that are going to keep you a, a, on the right side of, of the law. Um, Blunty, you had something to add? I was just going to say, realistically speaking, the we we are aiming to provide the minimal amount of legally required guidelines, right? Mm -hmm. So so there should not be a smaller guideline version, right? You're, all you're going to do is ignore some of the recommendations until you learn more about what the recommendations are there for. Or maybe you'll read them and, and learn more about what you're doing because you're new, because we have recommendations to help you learn about those things. But I, I just want it to be clear that, like, you know, we're our goal, you know, if it was legally easy, if it was legally possible to provide you less guidelines, then we, we would. would be doing that. Right. <laughs> right. And, and, what and the... for the, ex the simple point that this is a hobby and it's here for yes. fun. Right. And, and Greg of uh, Pilot Institute said it well. The advisory circular on CBOs, 9157C, um, is transforming recreational uh, UAS flight into a mini 107. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, yeah. we're we're resisting that to, to Blunty's point. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of, I just want to point out, like, I understand you did say possibly more restrictive, and, like, there could be some blanket thing, but I think the problem is that this rule is is essentially, Very uh, well, it's also, our CBO rules become legally binding, or not, or rule binding, right? So that means that, you know, what we wrote is what you have to follow, because if you're under our CBO, right, you're following these rules. So if we provide more restrictive rules in some way, I fear that that will mean there is more restriction based under our CBO, and that would not be positive for people um, like, flying under Like the, CBO. AM, the AMA FPV racing rules stipulate exactly. a maximum lithium polymer battery of 4S. Yeah, who, what? why, who knows, but... Yeah. So everybody currently but, flying with a 6S battery is in violation of the current FAA regulations. Yeah, that's correct. Because of, exactly because of how they're written. So yeah, just to be and clear, multi, we're not, and multi GP is a special interest group of the AMA. So if you're flying uh, multi GP and you're flying 6S, you're in violation of those guidelines until they straighten this out. Now it's yeah. I'm not making this up. You know, all you have to do is you know. Go to the AMA uh, website, pull down the FPV racing uh, PDF. There are about 10 separate documents, but it's in there. And 
I about fell out of my chair on that one. Yeah. So I just, yeah, just just to to reiterate. So well said. Yeah. Just to reiterate, you know, our goal is to not include anything like that, right? We're not going to have any kind of restriction that is not legally, that that is not in that rule. That's not within the basis of 44809, unless we're otherwise somehow forced to, but yeah. Right. Unless we thought there was something that was vital to safety, like uh, take your props off when you're working on your drone. But <laughs> like, I don't think yeah. there's anything that is that yeah, there's, crazy that would, we would do there's that. One that I can't, there's one that I can't find that I would buy into, which is flying over people. I cannot find anything in uh, 44809 right. that stipulates flight over people. And of course, there if there's nothing, you know, and so you'd say, well... You know, well, it's covered in Part 107. It's not because 88, uh, 44809 is an exception to 107. Mm-hmm. And so, so my, you know, so I've written and I have the rest of these guys uh, uh, edit it that all right, we should go along with this one because flying over people is not a good idea. And so many of the uh, FPV videos that we see online, the pilots do a fan operators do a fantastic job of flying away from people and not you know causing uh, you know now most of those folks are part 107 they're required yeah. but if they're flying recreationally yeah that's so what that, I was say that's well. an example that of something that it doesn't like exempt the right for 107 pilots to also do that because it's a we're you know we're talking about 44809 cbo so yeah right. the cbo is only right. for recreational rules mm-hmm. yep good point good point yeah and the sticking point to this is in in something that you know i want to kind of just expand on is that in the standard statutes, you are required to fly by a set of guidelines, safety guidelines put forth by a FAA recognized CBO. So you have to pick one or the other. And the funny thing about like AMA only limiting you to 4S for drone racing means you can't actually fly recreationally drone, recreational drone races with anything more than a 4S battery. In that case, you are legally liable if somebody wants to cause some 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 legal trouble for you. So that's why we're trying to keep this as simple as possible, as least restrictive as possible, so that you have a set of rules that if you choose to fly by them, will keep you as kind of protected as possible. There's no drone FPV FC drone police that are going to come out and be like, hey, you're not following this rule, but somebody like an actual law enforcement can request the rules that you're flying by. And if you're what, in violation of what guidelines rules, and yeah. as everyone, you know, to repeat, anyone can pick up a copy of uh, FPVFC uh, safety guidelines and cite them as the safety guidelines they're using. They do not have to be, have a paid membership to FPVFC and that's stipulated for all of the CBOs. Yeah. Um, uh, I just want to point out standpoints out as a response that like, you know, uh, perhaps uh, outside of the CBO, an organization could give guidelines that are more restrictive for new hobbyists so that they could get an entry point, you know, and I think that's a good idea, you know, so somebody else could do this kind of that kind of work, right, an outside advocate or evangelist or whatever. And then if a pilot feels like they should follow that, then they can. Otherwise, they can follow into the CBO guide. Or a training organization, right? So, like, sure, somebody right, who's exactly. going to train new pilots would obviously say, yeah. don't do this, do this, you know, that kind of yeah. thing until people are more accustomed. But what I would say is FPV is not that hard to fly. It's probably one of the easiest ways to fly to pick yeah. up. Um, I still 
I mean, I've been flying for, I don't know, six, I, I, I lost count at this point for a long time. And I still can't fly my drone more than like five feet in front of me line of sight. I, it's just, it's, it's difficult. And I even, I mean, one of, one of my goals is I want to learn to fly line of sight fixed wing, but it terrifies me. I'm like, how, how does this work? And because I, I, I am really locked into the FPV, right? And it's super easy. It's easy to maintain orientation because you're looking in the direction you're going. So um, it's not that difficult. If I could add on, the, on Stan's question, that it would be uh, perhaps uh, an outside organization from a CBO could uh, work on a, um, a set of uh, different guidelines. Training program, yeah. Um, uh, so... I chuckled when I read that, and not to be uh, dismissive or uh, disparaging, but I chuckled because it took the it took Congress two years to tell the FAA in the 2018 FAA Reauthorization Act that they had to do this, and then it took the FAA four years to come up with the advisory circular 9157C. So I really don't think that the FAA is going to accept another organization uh, separate from CBOs to have anything to do with recreational. No, I think Stan's just outside of the law. Just yeah. making recommendations that guideline. are binding in any way. Like as a CBO, is there somewhere we could send someone to say like, hey, you're following our CBO guidelines, but hey, Greg over at Pilot Institute has a good way for you to get into the hobby. And it's maybe a little more restrictive, but you know, once you're comfortable, you know what I mean? That That's sort of thing. Is Let's say idea. a group like, of, we're not saying, of STEM teachers. You're under these rules. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this would be more like a training program, like a pilot training right. program as opposed to a CBO. You could so say, see a whole group of, of STEM teachers get together and say, okay, here's our guidelines for teaching a STEM class. And when you're flying, in your local high school field, you should be following, in addition to a CBO's guidelines, we've got a few more, but they're not a CBO, so the FAA doesn't say that these are actual regulations. They're just additional safety precautions for beginner pilots. Yeah. I can't see it. I, I, I can't see yeah. the... Because if, yeah, if you're... You can lie uh, and not have remote ID uh, if you're in a free or an educational institution, but you still need to have to follow a set of safety guidelines. I can't. Yeah, but you, I mean, you, if, you're, if you're operating a training program, if you're operating a training program, you're operating under part 107. So you're completely separate. You're severed from the CBA. I don't understand. I, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying there's no legally binding. There's nothing extra. There's no rule requirement. There's nothing like that. If they're flying under our rules and they want to be safer and they don't know, they don't understand intricacies, like what like, kind of lights do I need? Or I don't know. Like, I think that's the point of this, right? Is like, hey, I don't understand exactly how to follow all these rules because there's pages and pages of rules and there's a bunch of recommendations. There's a bunch of guidelines and stuff. Is there a way to say like, you can fly at this time with this, or you can fly at this time with this, or you can fly with this weight with this. Is there some blanket thing to say, like, if you're flying a drone, you need to follow X, Y, and Z. And then later you'll find out, oh, actually, I don't need to do this when I'm doing this. Or actually, I don't need to do this when I'm doing this, right? I think that's the idea. So so a new pilot has, has like, five rules to follow. And then later they'll get... 80 rules to follow when they read our rules because that's the actual guidelines. I think that's the that's the sort of the concept here is like yeah, I'm going to confuse the shit out of a new pilot if I'm going to give them all the rules. And the and the question is, is there a way to like summarize those much quicker or much simpler so that a new pilot isn't overwhelmed and actually is interested in following some rules? I guess. Mm -hmm. right? That's why I'm thinking about it from a perspective yeah. of 
required and recommended. And then right. I, I do think the the segmentation that we created in the first set of safety guidelines is pretty good. Pre-flight, during the flight, post-flight. It's you know, just keep it keep it simple. Yeah. Uh, and uh, to Meet's question, yeah, you know, do we do a quick reference? Um, you know, we've toyed with that idea, and so if we create a a quick reference, then the the FAA might say this is not the official set of guidelines. You know, this you know this is not legit for an individual to carry uh, and uh, as a reference uh, set of guidelines. So we're we're trying to figure out you know what's intelligent and how do we you know, still make it approachable, readable, could, understandable. Maybe work on something where like we have our official guidelines, but we also have a different page on our website that's like the abbreviated version with links to the full explanations. Just like if you need a quick refresher of what the bullet points are um, right. when you're flying, like but it wouldn't be the official. Eight or nine points on the 44809. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Good. Hey, well, once, so we're, once we're done, we're... guys, I mean, once we're done with all this and, and we're approved and, and whatnot, I think uh, what we'll do is we can create kind of maybe like a PDF with links built into it that you can just lock into your phone and you can just click the links, right? That's so, it. That's where my head's at. Keep so, it simple. Yeah. Nav that way you're not navigate. carrying. I mean, that way you're not having yeah. to carry around a, a, you know, a bunch of paper in your bag. You can just keep it on your phone, whatever device you right. want to do, keep it digital. And uh, obviously yeah. that'll be available on our website as well. But, you know, future, future me speaking. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, anything else, gents? Uh, I think that's what's keeping us out of mischief. Yeah. <laughs> All Brian, right. Brian, uh, hey, I'm getting uh, making progress on a uh, on an RDU pilot uh, with a on a Matek uh, H743 wing flight controller. This uh, will fly aerobatics uh, by itself. Pretty cool. Uh, the RDU pilot people, as I mentioned, are amazing. Uh, the development is just superb, and it is uh, probably an order of magnitude more complicated than uh, uh, beta flight. So for anyone who's really geeking out, and, and you know, beta flight's just too simple. It's a great challenge. <laughs> I don't think anyone's is, ever said a, that. A whole, <laughs> it is a whole a whole world of just a, amazing people, and uh, so I'm enjoying the heck out of that. How many parameters are in uh, RG Pilot? Something oh, like two thousand. Yeah, I was going to say several thousand. I mean, if if anybody yeah. thinks Beta Flight is too simple, go into the filters tab, and there have uh, have some fun in there. Have a ball. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Anything guys. else around the room? No, I think we're good. All, All right. right, we'll see you see y'all in two weeks. All right. Excellent. Thank cool. you. Appreciate right, it. Have a great night, guys.